Welcome homeowners, home buyers, landlords, and tenants alike. People who just want to be better at living in a home. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Join Madison native and realtor Asher Messino and real estate broker, general contractor, and landlord Ben Anton as they break down the modern day barriers of home ownership. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and if you're not careful, you'll learn. Come on, baby, won't you keep me safer than that high score on that pinball game you're always playing. Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from Madison Musicians Seesaw. Welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. On Facebook, at In the 608. I'm Ben Anton, broker associate with the Lauer Realty Group, general contractor, landlord, habitual homeowner. And I'm Asher Messino, realtor at Lauer Realty Group, competitive weightlifter, volleyball player. (laughs) (laughs) We're focusing on some of the sports today. Welcome. In each episode, we we generally or often bring in a guest to talk real estate with us. We're going to wander from that a little bit here on what is... Asher, you you may not have you don't realize this is the first episode of season six. Wow! Like, were you in high school when when we started Shut broadcasting up. this? <laughs> no. <laughs> she was, I was no. Asher had had graduated from college and was halfway th- halfway through. I was probably their, their real estate career. You, I was you probably thirty one six years ago. Probably. <laughs> Never strong in math. We're going okay, to. Okay, I've actually outmathed you multiple times on this show. All right. Well, keep, keep stay tuned in then for the for <laughs> Asher to outmath me. We're going to enjoy things like the top of the hour tip, uh, as well as Asher's recap of the highest and lowest sales in Dane County in the last month. We surround ourselves with people smarter than we are. One of the smarter than us people we have on each month is Phil Plord, president of Blimling and Associates, a division of Dairy.com. He'll be in with a look beyond the 608. We also like to feature local music from artists, and you'll be hearing some of them from right here in the 608. This month on the program, we're going to be talking about choosing a realtor, setting yourself up for success in the home buying or home selling process. I asked what's going on, and Asher says, I've got no problems, <laughs> no house-related problems. Isn't that amazing? So I would say knock on wood because— Because it's going to happen. Because you just said that. Well, I do think my furnace could die because it is from 1999. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not what I, I tease because I think you're so young. That was not because, like, your birth year. I was born in the 80s, Ben. The 80s. I, you are just so... I'm just youth- a short person. You are so Listen. youthful, <laughs> youthful in your appearance and demeanor that it is difficult to believe you are anywhere near as old as I am. Well, I I'm wrote, definitely not near as old as you are. Wow. <laughs> to suggest a decade, we are, were born in adjacent decades. They're adjacent, but that is a 20 years possibility <laughs> difference. <laughs> 75. Okay. So uh, there, I narrowed it to fifteen. You smart ass. It's thirteen years. Okay, well there you go. Those are big. It's a it's a long thirteen <laughs> years. I wrote down drains, toilets, furnaces, because those are the phone calls that I got in the time since our last episode. People like to know what's going to keep me busy if I ever get into the landlord business. Toilets is one of them. 
What's going on with toilets? Everybody always thinks that I'm like up in the middle of the night getting phone calls like I got to go plunge a toilet. That's very rare. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that they like don't eat enough vegetables or whatever or or don't in the drink middle enough of the night. don't drink enough water. Like I don't knock on knock on wood, I don't get phone calls for clogged toilets, but I do see when I get calls from Rhonda, my business partner, she pays the water bills. Mm. And she says, "Ben, something's going on over there on Livingston." A running toilet? Two I don't know, 2,000 gallons in a day. That happened on Livingston and in my own home. What was going on? It was What was it? Toilet, the toilet fill valve. Just kept... The float, depending on the design of your toilet fill valve. Some have a float mm-hmm. that's on an arm. Some have a float that's on a column or a pillar. If that thing sticks and that toilet runs for 24 hours, you're easily looking at 2,000 gallons of water. Wow. Which is going to cost, which which nearly doubled my bill on Main Street. That's crazy. Using a month's worth of water in a day or in a four-unit apartment building. That's just going to start to add up. And do you know this because you, you check the City of Madison water utility you know, you can go online and check how much water you're using certain periods of time. Is that how you know it? Or do you figure it out at the end of the month when you get an astronomical bill? Sometimes we have to get the bill because the the waste or leak was not in a specific day mm. where it didn't. You can set your water utility account to send you an email with like a, an alert if you go over so many gallons in a day. Mm-hmm. There's a one-day delay. So on Main Street, when we went over 200 gallons, I get an alert. That's good. But it was the subsequent day, so the, the, mm. the damage had been done, but it did send me quickly to that bathroom to investigate. Mm. But yeah, set up for your alerts online, get an email. Um, the uh, 70 gallons per person per day is like an average number. So that's why in the house of two, we have about 200, you know, figuring that anything over that might be a problem. Yeah. Uh, But multi-units, when you get that, you know, that can be four different people who shower on the same day or all do laundry or do things, you know, it's a little harder, harder to to pick. So, uh, but in a single family home, use that 70 gallons per person number and get, who cares if you get an extra email every once in a while, if it's going to help you better understand how you use water and how you can not waste it. Totally. All right. You know, as we were talking, I realized I do have a toilet problem. I have a toilet that you have to hold the handle down the entire time for it to flush fully. Has it always been that way? No. I'm going to tell you which hole to stick your finger in <laughs> once once we're done recording today and you're go- and you're going to be amazed. Oh, the listeners just have to guess. <laughs> so what do we got on the docket for today, Asher? Well, today we're going to talk about choosing the right representation for purchasing or selling real estate. We'll talk about the kind of tips you'll read on the internet and brochures at the bank, but also how those things translate into real life and what it looks like from the other side of the table. Yeah, we're talking about an agent. You know, they call us agents, but do you ever really think about that? I am going to be your agent or this person is going to be your agent. They are going to speak for you. They're going to advocate for you. They're they going to have going your to, best interests in mind. Yeah, but like literally when they speak, it will be 
as if that is you. So it's someone that you're going to want to trust. Want and to, like. You're going to want to like them. You're going to be spending a lot of time together through stressful situations. Do you like them? That's the one That's the one thing <laughs> that none of the articles mention. So I think we'll talk a lot about that. That'll be one of the big differences. Um, but we'll be back with the top of the hour tip after a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, Liz Lauer here, owner and broker at Lauer Realty Group a small but mighty real estate firm in the Madison market. Please tune in and enjoy the conversation and information shared from this podcast as it offers insight into the Madison real estate market and handy tips for homeowners from remodeling, interest rates, market conditions to the do's and don't evers. So sit back and enjoy the banter and have a good time. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. I'm Ben Anton here with Asher Messino. It's time for the top of the hour tip. Having had the experience earlier this month, the furnace isn't working. Where do you go? What do you think happened, Asher? It was less last weekend, shortly after a lot of snow. Well, the first guess is that you've got snow covering the vents outside really, of the house. Would that really be your first guess? I mean, <laughs> if you just got 17 inches good. of snow, another thing. Good, jo- good, jo- good guess. That's a huge problem for carbon monoxide poisoning also. Well, that's, that's why it doesn't. That's one of the reasons it, it doesn't. Shuts down. It shuts down. Your furnace, uh, if it is of the higher high efficiency furnaces, has both an intake and an exhaust to the outside uh, through a two-inch white PVC pipe. If those PVC pipes become obstructed, where it cannot suck in or blow out without a certain level of resistance, the furnace will simply not run. So this situation was go outside, clear the snow around said intake and exhaust, and then come back inside, turn off the power at the furnace. On the switch. With the switch adjacent it, which is by code there for, uh, for the people who come work on it to know that they shut off power to the unit. Uh, but that will also reset the little computer inside because once it, once it finds a problem like I can't breathe, it'll try a couple times. But then after it says third time, still not working, it's going to shut itself off and stop trying. So turning or cycling the power... That's how a lot of people fix a lot of things. Well, you turn it off, turn it back on again. (laughs) That's what you need to do to get that furnace back and running. And it was as simple as shoveling a little snow away from the side of your house. So simple. So also something to think about if you've got those coming out on the driveway side. Just keep an eye. It's going to keep your tootsies warm. (laughs) That's the top of the hour tip. We'll be back with a little rundown of... uh, our topic of the day and get get started on uh, how to how to make sure that your buying or selling experience is one for the books. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Often, maybe even normally an interview-driven podcast, uh, but a little change of pace here in January as we kind of look forward to all the different things we might be doing this year. Yeah. Uh, We decided to change it up this month. January is a big month for people who have decided this is the year they want to buy or sell. So a lot of times in January is when we have a lot of new clients contact us to even just begin a conversation about it. 
So we're going to focus, uh, we'll kind of be talking, interviewing one another, perhaps, on uh, experiences we've had meeting with first-time buyers or, or maybe for sellers as well. This is not just uh, buyer-focused. But uh, without a guest, we did not want to say goodbye to the way it used to be. We, we, we want the uh, Madison History and Environs trivia game slash question to remain an important part of our monthly presence so Asher has prepared for me a question so that we will, or you will know, if I am fun, and then I will ask them a question to learn if they are fun. But uh, how, do, how do we learn, Asher, if, if the other is fun? By asking a get-to-know-you quiz game on Madison history. That we call... The Way It Used to Be. There used to be. But smiling faces far as the eye could see Car in every driveway, swinging every tree People can't stop talking about the way things used to be Okay, Ben, so I have sort of a complicated... I, I'm still in charge of the bell, okay. so if I, if I get anything close, <laughs> close to the right answer, it may be wrong. Okay, I have sort of a complicated historical question for you, but I decided to ask you this question for two reasons. So the background of this is that there is a neighborhood in Madison called the Greenbush neighborhood. It is a neighborhood that my family like she, is like, from. But the reason I want to ask Ben this question is because a few years ago, he did a video talking about this neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't even know that I was connected to it at all or the history. Because we could have it, done this together. Is this Messino? That's an Messino. Italian name. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the Greenbush, for those of you who don't know, historically was a neighborhood that was made up of Italians um, and Black and Jewish people and other people of color, mostly poor immigrants that came to the Madison area. A lot of them found great community in the Greenbush. Um, but here is my question. All right. So uh, many people maybe don't realize this right now, but the Greenbush um, was redeveloped and it caused a lot of community displacement. There were many homes and community centers and buildings that were raised, and it was a part of a federal, um, a federal aid process so that people could do you know, redevelopments, but really they gave nothing back to the communities. It didn't, you know, back then, you know, now when we have developments, the city usually requires that there's like low income parts of those redevelopments, right? So that those community members are not displaced. But this was way back in the day. So that whole community was very displaced. But my question, Ben, what year <laughs> or what decade was this redevelopment started, this urban renewal project? Okay, we're talking about what would have been the heart of the bush, which is bounded by Regent Street, West Washington, and Park Street. Mm -hmm. um, that entire neighborhood was raised. Much it, of it. Right. Um it was not all of it. I mean, there's still a lot of older homes there, but a lot no, of no. It. Inside that triangle, there is not a single home. There, not a single home was left remaining. 
in that small little triangle. That's yeah. not a very small triangle. It's well, probably saying, like five to ten acres. But anyway, well, you're right. The whole urban thing, renewal. The whole thing was 52 acres. I, I looked renewal, it up this morning. Urban renewal, which was the idea of tearing down old ugly stuff and building new ugly stuff, um, led the, our city fathers to tear down a rather diverse and low-income neighborhood and replace it with... Um, cookie cutter manufactured like uh it it, it became low income housing again but the gay braxton apartments there's a couple uh high rise housing developments there that, there's some commercial they put in um, commercial and businesses then also too. a small a small amount of commercial but i would say that that happened in the very early 1960s you are correct well that was not a very hard one <laughs> Well, um, I will say that here's the, the funny note. Let's go. Let's take it to the next level. Okay. <laughs> because that the neighborhood that they built there was so crappy and unsustainable and, a, and an embarrassment and a blemish that they just rebuilt it again. Yeah, it's sad. It's like li- drive there, go to that neighborhood. Well, basically, it and was. And you will find brand new apartments that were built as kind of like because they had to, because the. Whereas you drive two more blocks in and you'll see 150-year-old houses that are still being used as they were intended. It's like it's like the whole urban renewal process that went through there had to be renewed again. Well, and it's mostly because these were a lot of poor people that a lot of these rich developers, they saw these as slums. I mean... Well, you, you said uh, Italians, Jews, and blacks, you know, that... You know, if you're thinking, if you are the the white uh, Northern European uh, academic, and the you know that that was the very the very lowest of the working class neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, there are still remnants of it. The the Italian Workmen's Club. I'm glad you brought that up, Ben, because I Street. have another question for okay. you. The green. <laughs> I was in the Greenbush Bar in the basement of the Workmen's Club just a few weeks ago. Yeah. So the Italian Workmen's Club, which was actually co-founded by about 12 people, two of which include my two great-grandfathers. Ooh. What year was the Italian Workmen's Club founded? The club itself, not necessarily the building. The building is of a certain age already, I would say... 1920, mid-20s. I believe it's 1922, the building. My mom and my dad were actually married in the Italian Workmen Club's uh, building. But I would say <laughs> that, um, you know, fraternal orders and and groups of that nature were so much more prevalent in the early 1900s um, before social safety nets like... Um, like uh, like government programs like, to help take like care of social people. security right. or or other it was it was literally you would literally get your unemployment insurance and your health insurance and other other cat- catastrophic insurance benefits through groups like um, the Elks and the other the Eagles you know all those all those fraternal orders were social safety nets of their own design um, I would say. I mean, it's 1910. Close, 1912. 
there you go. See, it's it's really something interesting. One of the times I I, I, I tore open a house on Dunning Street and I found the walls to be insulated with old newspapers, um, one of which was a published paper from the the Maccabees, which I which I believe to be um, a, a Jewish faith-based fraternal order. And it literally published, like, these are all our members, and this is the money we brought in last month, and this is how much money we gave back out to the community to this family who was going through this hardship. That's great. And, this, and it was early, very early 1900s. I love it. And it was... It, and if you think about some of the old insurance company names, like if you ever heard of the Woodman of Amer- the Woodsman of America, like some of the very some of the insurance companies that exist today, got their financial start and origins through those same kind of fraternal organizations. But anyway, so yeah, <laughs> he rings Twice. the bell for himself. <laughs> so I was told I was told that I might be challenged, and then when she brought up the green bush, and I thought oh, I got this. Well, um, the, you know, I thought. Asking for specific years would be a little difficult. Well, but if you give job. me a range, I got in there. All right. Uh, the get to know you game. Um, this last week, I took the pretend family. We went on a little uh, overnight to Milwaukee. You took a pretend family? I have, I, I've referred to my pretend family before. It is a, it is a, uh, a, a cutesy name that I give the com- combined families of fiancé and, and her son and then me and my kids. It's all pretend. We call that the pretend family. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> I like it. We took a, we took a prevent, pretend family outing to Milwaukee. The kids, ranging in age from 13 to 20. Oh, all of them. Um, went to a Bucks game without us. That was that was fun, right? To know that they were off being responsible. Or Evelyn. At the, well, she was the responsible. Exactly. One. But anyway, across <laughs> across the street from the hotel, Gold's Gym. My youngest Lola, big fan of the working out. Yes, Lola works at my gym, which is not Gold's Gym. Uh, Lola works at Ford's Gym on Winnebago. Ford's Gym, the best gym in Madison. Sometimes uh, running into Asher there. Uh, but she wanted to go to the Gold's Gym. She went, oh, we got to check that out. i got to see it. I want to go in there. I want to check out how clean those windows were. So we, so we walked over <laughs> to Gold's Gym. And she was, and this place was, it was some in some ways, I mean, she wanted the sweatshirt. Uh, she has a sweatshirt aficionado. Nice. Uh, but here's a question for you. Are you ready, Asher? Yeah. In 2018, <laughs> Gold's Gym on Hard Rock Road. I don't even know. Like, that's a ridiculous name for a street. Especially like. based on the location. Do you know where that is? <laughs> no. Hard Rock Road in Fitchburg closed. It was purchased by the Princeton Club. Mm-hmm. Where, if ever there was, was there a Gold's Gym on Madison's east side? Well... First of all, I'll say I do not. I'm not really into those big box gyms. I had been to that Gold's Gym in Fitchburg. Um, I had never been to a possible Gold's Gym on the east side of Madison, though. But if I were to guess, I would say it's out by East Town Mall. In- incorrect. <laughs> Where is it? Where it, was it's, it? It's by Woodman's. By, by Wood- Woodman's? By Woodman's East behind the post office. Wow. If you are driving on Highway 30. Yeah. Where? The, the building is now called, it's like the P- PDS building or when something When was like this? That. It's at the intersection of 
51 and Milwaukee, or no, 51 and 30. The big silver building with a big wall of glass, and it was very striking. But when did it go out of business? Ten years ago, okay. not that. In, in, I love, I love how Ben's like. You work out at only one gym. You should know about all of them. <laughs> you have an interest in personal fitness. You should know about that one next to the highway behind the post office. <laughs> Ten years ago, off of a. <laughs> All right. If I'm going to be teased because <laughs> because I think you're young, this was it. This was after you would have had a driver's license, after you would ben, have been selling real estate. Yes. And you just never drove down that road. Okay, there is no reason to go down that road. I'm going to ring the bell to to bring an, <laughs> to bring an end to this segment. We'll be back with the highs and the lows after this. <laughs> When I meet with buyers for the first time, I go through a little presentation and at the end it says, unpack all your boxes when you move in and then borrow a ladder. So that borrow a ladder thing is like kind of a metaphor. What it means is that I enjoy not only helping people buy their houses, but helping them live in their houses and learn how to be better at living in the house. The same better that I try to help you with each month on the podcast. So here's an invitation. If you are planning on buying a house or selling a house, look me up. Head over to benanton.com. Maybe sign up for my newsletter under the read tab. That is what I like to do the most is help. The podcast, the newsletter, those are just some of the ways I've found to help. So do you want that help? Look me up. You want a little help in between? Listen to the podcast, sign up for the newsletter. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. It's time for the lows, the highs, and the market update. Asher, where was... I'm going I'm to refer to it as the best value, even though it might not be. But <laughs> where was the... Because I don't want to say the cheapest house. You might in this case want to say that. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about the cheapest house to sell in Dane County last a single family last month. The least expensive house uh, was sold for one forty three, one hundred forty three thousand, three bedroom, one bath, little over thousand square feet in DeForest. That's one of the one of the most sought after school districts, is it not? Uh, no, I think there's several others, and actually, it says school info district is Sun Prairie. So, oh, <laughs> no wonder it sold for so cheap. <laughs> I, I I don't have a damn thing to say about Sun Prairie schools. They're they're quite good. Um, but uh, but I was thinking about like accessibility. This well, this house this house had conventional financing. It is a rural location. It, yeah. Five five miles down Highway V. Yeah. Well, still, but it's almost half an acre. I'm just thinking about like if you really wanted to have a house and this is all you could afford, this could have been your house. Yeah, I mean, one hundred forty-three thousand dollars. Like you get three bedrooms and over a thousand square feet. That's pretty good. But looking at the pictures, we can see that it needs a lot of work. Now, I mean, it appears livable. Well, besides from the rats. Rats? I didn't even get to that point well, yet. The, it says here in the broker comments. It says, all caps. Because that's how broker. Oh, that's beware! How, that's how broker <laughs> comment. Beware! The cleaning service saw some rats in the upper bedroom closet. I'm not going to let a couple rats scare me away. What I'm no, seeing it's here, just rats. Get a is, cat. A, is a three bedroom house, one bath, hundred less than 150, 
It was on the market for 21 days, and it, it didn't have competition, and it got a regular loan. This house could have been, for anybody who who thinks that the market is against them and they'll never be able to afford a house in the Madison area, I have always said December is when you should buy that house. December is the perfect time. This this is the this house ha- this happened. Like this was this is a, this is an example of what I'm talking about. Less than $150,000, a a dirty, filthy but but livable house, 3 bedroom, 1 bath, 1100 square feet, no competition, 21 days on market, regular loan, less than asking. Yeah. Selling in December. But I think, you know, something to consider when you're looking at homes like this is, will you have any cash left over? Like, do you have enough cash to purchase this home? And then also, you know, you might need to replace some of that floor right away. Some of those, there's a picture where the bathroom tiles are all coming up and are going to cut your feet. (laughs) Like, there's some things you might have to do right away. But yes. Would you like me to take my shoes off? No, we're... (laughs) We're a shoes on family. We're a shoes on. We're a shoes on family. <laughs> I'm just saying that the the dream is it's okay, it's it's not easy. It's not easy to get a house and a great house. There's a lot of challenges, but here's an example of a house that could have been could have been got by just about I don't want to say just about anybody, but like by a lot of people. By a lot of people that were willing just to put up with with some yeah, so a little I bit mean, of hard work. You can't find a single family home in the city of Madison for th- with three bedrooms for one hundred and forty three thousand dollars. You cannot, or or even in DeForest for that matter. But if you're going to find it, it's going to be in December and it's going to be dirty and it's going to need some work. But here is an example of one that needed work, but not so much that it couldn't be financed. It was priced low, but not so low that it got swiped up by an investor. It's. Three weeks to sell instead of three days. Mm-hmm. This was a perfect example of like the one that you would be waiting for, or the a kind of opportunity you might try to find for yourself if you were struggling to get into the market and were willing to take on some challenges. Mm-hmm. All right, what about on the opposite end of that spectrum, Asher? All right, on the very, very opposite end of that spectrum, we have a home in Madison on Prospect Avenue. That sold for $1.7 million. It had no competition. It initially started at $1.8 million, sat on the market for 122 days, but has eight bedrooms, four full bathrooms, two half bathrooms, and 6,700 square feet. For those of you unfamiliar or that would need a little, like, prospect, where's prospect? Um, I think the, the, uh, the dean's residence... They, they call them the Dean, or no? It's the University Heights. Yeah, what's the the big house there? That uh, the is it the Dean's house? There's yeah. a lot of really big houses. No, right? literally, like the university owns a house that they put the Dean in on Chamberlain. Oh, okay. Isn't that what they call the, that person? That's it's a uh, the the that just, it's the, not the like which like who's the president of the university? Is it a Dean? 
Chancellor. Chancellor. The Chancellor's house go. is on Chamberlain. <laughs> it is like a like a grand ass mansion of an old house. University Heights neighborhood, just west of the stadium. That is where Prospect Avenue is. Two o five North is two blocks north of Regent Street, uh, which is the zero line on the west side. Um, but yeah, sixty seven hundred. And, and to look at the pictures, it. It's it's probably you know as much as we see new or modern houses on the lake that sell for one point eight million or easily you know like that happens all the time. This house, fully interior, in an established neighborhood, almost a hundred, well, more than a hundred years old, one hundred and four thirty years old. It looks like a million, like a multi-million dollar home. It's gorgeous. It is. It is absolutely gorgeous. It and has it's been a cared for. Property. It hasn't been screwed up. It's all still there, and you can be in it, and you can be like, what's this house worth? I have no idea, but it certainly feels like you'd pay a couple million dollars for it, and you did. I mean, you it's paid, in great condition. You paid 1.7, and congratulations to them. But, uh, but yeah, just beautiful in every way. Three-star, the, the, the roof lines, the, the Georgian aspect. Georgian, that's when they start to get very symmetrical. Uh, left to right when they, but anyway, almost kind of like a Frank Riley look. Yeah, we're familiar with his work, maybe Asher. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So there, one point seven on the near west side, not too far from the Chancellor's house. Not to be mistaken with the Dean. <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute, where we where we're gonna get in deep. We're gonna talk about not our interview, but the topic of choice being. How to how to how to make sure you're partnering with the best realtor you can. Back in a flash. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison Real Estate Magazine for years. I'm Ben Anton. There's Asher Messino. How about we we run down some of the like mo- the, the most common questions? I imagine there are some of the ones that people ask you. But this is this is probably the most commonly uh, asked and uh, and suggested questions. How long have you been in real estate? Right. What's a good answer? The truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as long as the person isn't lying to you, um, you should feel. Pretty, I think. I think there there is no right answer there. I would like to see well, someone with a depends. little bit. I think it really depends. Like a medium amount. Because what what you've got out there in in the, I guess, in the market of realtors, um, is you have a lot of people that are part-timing this. So you don't want to know how long someone's been a part-time realtor, right? You want to work with a full-time realtor, and you want to know how long they've been a full-time realtor for. Asher at 10, me at about 18, 19. Um, that's a good, those are both very good numbers, especially for people who have uh, made a made a life choice or like that is the job they have. It's interesting you say about the, the part-time full-time um, because someone, when someone asks me if I do it full-time, I sometimes say it is like one of my full-time pursuits because <laughs> I don't, I don't just sell re- or sell real estate full-time, you know, like I'm, li- I'm literally doing all kinds of other also real estate related things full-time. Um, sure, but I would consider you still a full-time well, realtor, I, even though you are <laughs> doing I, all sorts of and other I, things. And I do, and 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 where and uh, and where and where someone might not agree with you, well, then the eighteen years makes up for that. 
You right. Know, even if that's only been 65 to 70% of what I've been doing, I've been doing it for that much longer. Um, where are you on the topic of neighborhood specialists or people like, do you, do you specialize and do you like to be so, pigeonholed? I think it really, really depends. If you are searching to purchase a home within Madison, within Dane County, like let's say within an hour outside of Madison, it is very realistic that if you are working with a realtor who has been in the business for a significant amount of time as a full-time realtor, that they can work in all of those areas and can, you know, be very knowledgeable in a significant amount of regions. Now, we, you know, we're a small, we're a small area here. It's not like we're talking about like, you know, New York City or something where I'm sure people do have more like specialized locations. But I mean, I'm from Madison. I grew up on the West Side. I've now been on the East Side for 16, 17 years. Um, you know, I also grew up outside of Devil's Lake and have a lot of knowledge of over there and have been in this business for you know, almost 10 years. So it's like, you really can, with your experience, know a lot of areas. I don't think it's so much. I mean, I hear you. Yes. Because in the year, you know, I, you get around and you learn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think it, once you've, once you've worked in five or 10 different neighborhoods or situations or, you know, different ages, the neighborhoods that develop different, different vintage homes and different, you're really overlaying your you're overlaying your task with with systems. I know what to look like. You know, when you're looking at a neighborhood, even if it's the first time you're in that neighborhood, if you've been in a hundred other neighborhoods and forty of them were similar to it in eighteen ways, then you know what kind of things to anticipate, what kind of questions to ask, and what kind of things to consider. Oh, sure. For like the age of the property, the type of the property, that right. kind of thing. Yeah. The, 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 idea that, the idea that what we've learned in neighborhood A and B through F and G can't be applied in neighborhood L right. is, is foolish to think. There, there's a point. So I often say, and this is to people who, who know I am an e-signer, if you can find someone who knows the neighborhood you intend to buy in, as well as I know Main Street, work with them. But I don't think you, I don't know that that person exists. That's me, Ben. We don't even, <laughs> we don't even. Ben and I, I are didn't direct even, competitors. <laughs> I didn't even say where it was. <laughs> If you can find a person that knows, and well, one, you'd have to know your, where you're going exactly. Like if you if you were living on on Alabama Street, wherever that is, but if you there is actually an Alabama the North Side, or is there? I don't know. I don't know if if there was an Alabama Street, it'd be on the North Side, <laughs> just shy of Gumper's School, where there's Arizona and Dakota and all those. Anyway, um, I. I, it's a bit of a challenge. Like it's like, like, go ahead. If you think you can do better, go ahead. But I'm saying that that there's it's, it's a slim it's a slim chance. So, but people, neighborhood specialists, yes and no. I mean, there's value there, but I wouldn't not work with someone if they were not a specialist. Because I wouldn't put the emphasis on neighborhood specialist for here. 
Because there's not just one neighborhood. Like, if you were working with someone that was like, I just specialize in this neighborhood, I would say they do not have anywhere near the amount of sales <laughs> they should have because you could not possibly have that much experience. Then, how do you how do you make clear uh, with someone ske- scheduling and availability? What kind of conversation do you have? I think that's. I've never had anybody that needed me more than I could give them. Have you ever come into that? Have you ever had someone that was... Um, I mean, I think it's a really good conversation to have with someone that you want to be working with. Like, what are the expectations for communication and availability? How quickly will you respond to me? How quickly can we make appointments? Like, what are we seeing in the market for turnaround time for when something is listed versus when we can get showings and then versus when offers are due? Like, these are all things that can and should be discussed ahead of time. But I would say that I can pretty much always fit in showing requests. I mean, we're often not only juggling our own schedules and our buyer's schedules, but we also have to juggle those seller's schedules, right? Like we put in the requests for showings, those could be denied. So, I mean, but I would say knowing all of that, it always works out. We always have the time to schedule showings. It really is, again, just going back to that person that we talked about, uh, whether they are full-time or most of the time, it's the, it's the commitment they've made to the to their to the industry to their task right or to their to their job and then to you the customer if um, they can't take you on a showing until they're done with their nine to five <laughs> probably not if a they great can't match. respond to you <laughs> because they're working their other gig <laughs> less less than twenty four hours is is I think for response that's of that's course, like but. yeah that's like the guarantee but but so often if you wait if you if I literally had to wait 24 hours to reply to people nothing would get done. Right, you have to if there's so, a showing request you have to respond basically so, that day. So there when you talk about someone's availability um I will always promise less than 24 hours like if some if you don't hear from me in 24 hours please call 911. <laughs> please call someone there's some there's something wrong. Um but this this goes to the next next question that I saw pretty common was how many how many clients do you do you work with? Um, and the suggestion was made that that uh, you would want to be uh, one of of an agent's less than ten. Did you? Did well, you? What do you think about when that? When I actually? am asked that question, I often express that that's actually like a really complicated thing to answer because there are some people who I'm working with that. I've been working with for years because they're looking for something so special and so specific that we really maybe see a property a couple times a year, right? And then you have other clients that are like, we need a house now. And I might be showing them several houses a week if we're in a a time of the year where there's lots of inventory. So it's it's a complicated question. (laughs) It is. There are people that I would say I'm always working with. Yeah. They would if I find the right (laughs) house for them. I will call them up, and they might want it. Yeah. Um, and they, but there, but then there are people that are actively looking to buy a house right now. And then, and then the number ten that I saw most uh, or many articles refer to as like the maximum. I think I might agree with that. Like if you had ten people that were like wanting to buy right now, that would start to feel like a little bit of a of a maximum for me. But maybe that's because I I'm doing know. I'm doing other things. You're doing other things. I have not I wouldn't say I've reached my maximum. We all heard, I mean, it, heard, it, here, <laughs> heard it here first. I um, mean, I'm 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 busy but I I fit it all in. I've got a lot of energy. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I, not. I'm not landlording like you over well, I, I numerous properties. I just figured. <laughs> I I t- I tend to find to find a way to make everything work without um, without 
too much stress. And I just, from the hip though, um, that seemed like a reason to, like that seemed like, yeah, sure. If you had 10 people that were like ready to buy, that would be enough for me. I wouldn't want to have more than that. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's. Because there's always going to be the four or five or, or many others that are on completely different timelines and looking for completely different products. But if you start to have 10 people with fairly broad geographical reach, and then you're going to start to see a lot of overlap mm -hmm. and maybe even start to become your own worst enemy in that you're having to show, especially in a market with such limited inventory, where you might show the same house to a bunch of people, and I don't like that. Well, I mean, it happens, you know. I'm very familiar with it. Like, if you don't have enough inventory, it happens. I suppose. All right. Do you, here's another common question. Do you work independently or with a team? This is an interesting question because I think it really depends. It depends on a lot of factors. So I would suggest sort of, you know, what Ben and I have set up for ourselves, right? We are independent realtors, but we do work with a supportive team, meaning we do have someone who helps us with administrative side of things, someone who helps us with marketing things, but we are independent in that our clients will only see us unless for some reason we are sick. And then in that case, we have people <laughs> backing us up. Or let's yeah. say we have a little family trip planned. We have people backing us up. So if we have to go out of town or we're sick, you are never going to be left alone. And at the same time, what you see is what you get. You know, you, you, you heard, you learned about an agent, you dialed them up, you called, you met with them, you said, I, I vibe with them. They seem to have the skill set and knowledge that I demand or expect. Um, and then you would be reluctant or you would not want to find yourself um, being serviced by someone else. Well, right, that, exactly. And what's really important is that when you decide to work with a realtor, you just should work with them because they're they're going to know all of your background, not just like your financial background, but also like emotionally, what do you need right now? If you start working with multiple different realtors, it's going to be more consuming or excuse me, it's going to be more confusing for the consumer ultimately. Yeah. So I think I think working with a, the same, even if that person had a team, you would want the same person right. on that team from the beginning to the end. Maybe with someone else uh, available to to sub them if if there was an incident or an emergency. But you you need that connection. You need that understanding and the shared experience of the of the hunt. Right. And yeah. alternatively. You know, there are agents out there that are independent but do not have a team. They're working for maybe large brokerages. They don't have like maybe administrative help. They don't have marketing help and they may not have any backup people either. Right. And that's going to take time away from their ability to to do the important work of, of helping you find your home. Um, do you think it's important to know like the percentage of I work with buyers, I work with sellers, I work with both. What what do you want what what do you think is um, the best answer to hear there? Well, you know, I think it's good to work with a realtor who does both, but I don't think there needs to be any sort of like ideal percentage of each because a lot of that is driven by the market. I mean, as we can both attest right now, 
there are more buyers than sellers, right? We have way more buyers than people listing homes. So you will probably work with more buyers than sellers this year. No, I'd agree. But I think it's also, I think, I think the, the right answer to that question is a decent amount of both. Yeah. Um, well, and if you're working with someone who's been doing it for enough years, that's good. That's going to be a given. Yeah. But again, though, that, that the changes our market goes through every, every few years is important. So often I am bringing tools to my buyers that I learned when I was on the selling side. Yeah, I mean, like literally, I listed a home, and these things happened, and these people won because they did this. Now I'm able to bring those same strategies to my buyers and right. say, "This is how we're going to win." I've seen it happen. Yeah, it's two sides of the same coin. So you don't want to work with someone that only knows one side of this entire process. This next question, um, how many homes did uh, did you help buyers close in the past year? Um, I think the important part of this, uh, the average or the median, national median, uh, was 12. So one a month. And that seemed like a, like, a, like a fine number for someone who was either new-ish or, you know, doing it full time, but that's all they did. Or I don't know. I don't know. It's not a huge amount. I... I that was about how many I sold per per year when I was newish. Yeah. Um and and that number has grown. I think you do a little bit more volume than me. I I yeah. I don't even really keep track. I'm in the low 20s. What For do you last do you year? know what you did last year? I was in the upper 20s. Yeah. So so that's but so that year, makes, makes you know, it changes good. from year to year, right? Yeah. I mean, but it's also based on this past year. Sales altogether in Dane County were down thirty percent. So I mean, the year before we both probably had more volume. My, you know, I think mine was about the same. I've been hovering around that like twenty four mark for a couple of years, and I, I had like forty one last ooh. year or twenty twenty two or something yeah, like I, that. Again, though, not someone who I don't think of my success as a number of homes, um, and it's really just more it's just about the number of people you touch. <laughs> I. I don't count the number of people I touch either. Uh, that's a whole different number. Uh, Asher. Um, this, so anyway, um, that's national. I've always, I've always thought that I've always done more than a, a number I'd looked up years ago was was lower than this for the national average. I was like, great, I'm well, doing I mean, a lot more than the national average. It's funny though because I, I would think that when you're taking those statistics together. You know, it's grouping part-time realtors who did one deal that year, and maybe even teams. These were actually full. These were these were individual full-time. full-time full-time agents. But some of the issues with this reporting, though, is that sometimes when someone's on a team, all of the agents who work for them, all of their sales get grouped under their one name. Well, so of course, an individual realtor probably cannot sell a hundred homes a year. But of course, these stats probably reflect a team's worth of sales under one person's all right. name. Well, I, regardless, I felt okay. <laughs> I felt okay about where I fell in there. Yeah, um, definitely. How? Here's a question that I did not think was. Uh, would add much value at all. How long does it typically take buyers you've worked with to find and purchase a home? I think this is such a funny question and I get asked this every single time. And it's like, it depends on a million different factors. There is no typical. There is no typical and it depends so much on 
a buyer's financial ability, a buyer's motivations. How I mean, picky they are. How pi- yeah, exactly. I'm going to do everything in my power to get you what you want. How aggressive they are when they finally do put pen to paper. Right, exactly. It, you know, sometimes it have sometimes it's the second or third house. I hate when it's the first. I always say, <laughs> if we see one house and you want to write an offer, I will beg you to see two more. Like, no, please. Say, exactly. <laughs> I, I have struggled. Like, I literally, it's in my presentation. Like, if we, if we accidentally like the first house, we will quickly see two others exactly. to make sure to make sure that it's that it's I real. Do not want to sell someone a house that they ultimately are going to hate. So anyway, so that question of how the typical time that it takes, I don't think there is there is a right or right or wrong answer there. Um, how will you determine what homes match my wants and needs? Well, and that's that's a great question because that you know. You need to work with one realtor. If you can work with one realtor. Versus the team are we talking about? Well, versus, you know, some people just shop around and they just call the listing agent or they just call whatever realtor is available. You need to establish a relationship with a realtor. You need to let them get to know you. You know, you need to tell them exactly what you're looking for. And a lot of times going to multiple homes is good for both the realtor and the buyers because then they can get to know each other because someone can tell me I want an updated home. Well, I don't know what that means. It's a little relative. There are like 20 different kinds of updated levels you could put into a kitchen, a bathroom, you know, like, so when I take someone to a home and I'm like, is this the level of updates you mean? Again, that shared experience. Like I was, I was here with you. We experienced this house together. Right. I learned what you like about it, what you don't like about it. And I can apply that going forward. Right. Um, how, so there again. Here's another question, common question: How many clients are you currently working with? We talked a little bit about that. Like, and I don't know. There, there, there's no real way to answer that question either because some people are on such a slow and steady uh, that they'll eventually. And then there are those people that are actively looking for a home. Like I need to to own one now. Um, and then again, the importance of understanding the the manner in which you will communicate and the speed with which you will do it. Um, but again, the, the mo- those are the those were those those most common questions. And I think we talked a little about what what ones are important, what ones might not be. Um, but most importantly, it was nowhere on there. Is like, do you get along? Do you get along with them? Do you, do you want to be around them? Is it enjoyable? And that, because that that's part of the do I trust? Yeah. Do you trust them to help solve difficult problems if they arise? And that's not a, that's not a, a trustworthy. I don't, I don't. Maybe that's not the because I don't. I want you know. I, I don't distrust someone, but but do you believe? Yeah. Because that's more about it. Like if I, well, you have to believe in their abilities. So that you can believe you're going to be in that house for your dream. Can you stand to be around them? Like, let's say you're going to go see five houses today, and at each house you're going to be there for 45 minutes. That's a that's a that's a time commitment. That's a time commitment. Can you stand to be around that person? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have this. Gonna, I don't know. We're gonna start asking some very difficult questions. On the selling side, I think. I think there's a lot of similarity, a lot of crossover. Um, one of the things that that is different and that I think we kind of touched on, Asher talked about the importance that the firm plays and that the team 
not the team of agents, but like having the backup of a, of a firm place. And for me, investments in marketing and technology are, are the big difference between if I'm like, because yes, it's important for me to get along, for me to understand how to communicate, for me to understand what I'm, what my expectations are. That's all the same on both sides. But when it comes to selling, it's not one man on his horse with the, you know, like the one man hero. It's, it's right. got to be the systems that sell the house just as much as the as the agent who's willing to pick up the phone and hustle. Right. You need to have a person who has who specializes in media. We are we are marketers. We are here to sell your house. It, you definitely should not be hiring someone who's about to take cell phone pictures of your house and just put those on the MLS. <laughs> like you need to be working with someone that has high end media specialists, you know, photographers who also do video, who also do 3D tours, who do floor plans, drone photography, all of that. I think so. I mean, it, well, well, you know, at the end, at the end of this, we always talk about what the, what the takeaways are. The that's this is the one the one thing that makes the the pursuit of a seller's agent different than the buying agent is is the is the the back of the house if you will the the ability to plug you into existing systems proven proven systems it's the whole reason that I ended up working at Lauer Realty Group I could as an individual apply my knowledge and go help people buy 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 buy. That's all. I think that's what's most important on the buying side is is the is the understanding of the marketplace and houses themselves and how how it all comes together. But on the selling side, if you want to also succeed there, you need the framework of of a firm and established systems to make sure that that you can uh, make that work. Right. Your customer's expectation. And often you don't see that with large national brokerages. Often. Agents are sort of doing their own thing, and some of them are hustling, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them have set up their own systems, but largely, you don't get that. Here, here's here's a question that I thought was a little bit wouldn't work, or doesn't the answer to which doesn't matter so much in our market. What is your average list price to sales price ratio? Because their suggestion was is like if someone is getting near the list price, that they're a better negotiator. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously that depends on so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in, in our in our market, sadly, um, well, in our market, our the the Lau Realtor Group's list to sales price ratio has been over one hundred percent for many years. Right. Um, and I don't think that I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say that's great for us because it suggests that we're continuously selling properties at or above their asking price, but that's not going to happen in every market, nor is it um, – because this question was more for like a regular market where if you're – where you're – where you'd like to believe that your agent isn't like giving your house away. Mm -hmm. And and that just doesn't necessarily apply in a market where we have such a a buyer-heavy presence. All right. Heavy home sold the again all the questions very similar to that of the buyer agency angle. Well, I would also say like you know look up this person online, look up their testimonials. Oh, reviews. How do they pre- certainly right? Yeah. How do they present themselves online? Do they have a website? 
Do they clearly have their information out there? Do they have a Facebook? I will say because I help clients, friends, family who are looking for agents out of state. I help them interview agents. I will find agents for them that I have been referred to by maybe other realtors. I will interview those realtors and I will tell you that I have called so many realtors in different states who don't have a voicemail set up, who don't ever call me back, who don't have a website. I mean, it's like, these are some basic things. If these people don't have those things, don't hire those people. (laughs) Affirmative. We're going to, so there we talk, we're going to take a quick break for Phil's phone in and uh, we'll be back, we'll be back after that with a quick summary and we'll send you all on your way. Time for Phil's phone in. Phil Plort is my business partner in Deacon Housing, president of Madison's Blimling and Associates, a dairy commodities consulting firm, a division of dairy.com, and host of the brand new podcast, The Dairy Download. Keeping an eye on the faraway and diverse markets is what he does. Seeing how it might affect real estate here in Madison is what he does for fun. Here he is with a look beyond the 608. Hey, Ben, it's Phil with a view from beyond the 608. Let's start 2024 talking about three things that seem good for the U.S. economy and three things that could create challenges. On the good side of the ledger, I think labor markets have to be first on the list. We continue to see payroll expansion. The number of jobs open still exceeds the number of unemployed persons. Initial jobless claims remain low. All positives. Second, gasoline prices are inexpensive. The national average is at just about $3 per gallon, down 8% from last year. This keeps extra money in the pockets of most folks week to week. Third, equity markets have been rocking. The S&P 500 made a new record high last week, and stocks are up by about 24% year over year. That's good for investor households and their spending. We have some negatives, though. Consumer credit is number one on that list. Revolving debt outstanding, mostly credit cards, was at $1.3 trillion in November, up more than 9% year-over-year. At some point, consumers won't be able to escape the weight of that lingering debt. Second, there's plenty of inflation in certain corners of the economy, especially around housing. If energy prices got going again, consumer sentiment would make a hard reversal. Finally, the global economy isn't in great shape, and there's plenty of tension out there. China's not feeling well, and that makes just about everyone else a little queasy. On balance, I think things will remain okay. Not great, not terrible, just okay. And that's not so bad, right? That's all for now. Until the next time, this is Phil with a view from Beyond the 608. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine. For your ears, I'm Ben Anton. In with us... As our as my new co-host, my new compatriot, my compadre, my cabron. Um, <laughs> that means uh, that means my goat, my goat buddy, or something like that. That's Spanish. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, what what was that, Asher? There we go. That was our first full episode together. Amazing. S- season si- first episode, season six. We didn't have a guest, but we'll have guests in on and off as as the season goes forward. Um, but the the important talking about the importance of, of partnering. Uh, for buying and or selling and the, the different things that one might consider when interviewing your buyer's agent. 
or, or a seller's or agent. Or a seller's agent. Um, a lot of overlap between the two. Tons of overlap. Uh, the one, the one big difference I think in the end is that if you are looking for a selling agent, you are going to want someone who either. And this, it's, it's unlikely that an individual agent has all these systems in place to, uh, to, to just plug your home into from a marketing and advertising perspective. But you're more or perhaps more likely to find that at a, at a medium-sized firm where, uh, with a proven track record where the agent is the star, but they are, for the most part, your entree into those systems so that... So that your house can get plugged into the money-making machine. That's crude, but that's for the most part on the selling side. That's what you're after him for. Yeah. And the and the most important thing um, in both of those situations that was not addressed in either of those ten or twelve question uh, was what Asher. That you like the person, that yeah. you get along. Like that. It'd you're be, partnering with them. You that don't want to hate fun. them. <laughs> it should be. A, largely an enjoyable process yes stressors will come up prepare for that but hopefully you enjoy some of it and that's what i talk about i say a lot of this is going to be very frustrating we're going to need that foundational we enjoy one another to get through so there we go thank you very much thanks to our listeners thanks to you asher thank you ben thanks to the musicians the bands we've been hearing renclaw el donk the oak street ramblers Bob Westfall, Seesaw, the Mad City Jug Band, and again, thank you to you. Stay warm out there. Thank you for listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. If you can't get enough real estate in the 608 between episodes, like us on Facebook at In the 608 or visit inthe608.com for archived episodes and show notes. Remember... Until you tell us, we don't know. We appreciate your listening as well as your ratings and reviews at your favorite podcast portal. We also welcome feedback and topic suggestions via emails to experts at in the608.com.